Disciples remember because we cannot follow the one that we forget. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to follow him, believing upon him, and learning of his person and his work of grace in our life. Learning to obey him out of gratitude for the great things he has done. That's the Great Commission. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that is what we're focusing on this half year. Even as we are in isolation, we're focusing on discipleship. And we are remembering because we can't follow the one that we forget. The scripture portion before us out of Second Timothy highlights the theme of remembering by both exhortation and its opening word, remember, and also with those words, bringing forth a faithful saying in verse 11. Faithful sayings are those who, which are meant to be remembered. I'd like to ease into the passage today by taking us back to a portion of scripture from last week, Romans 15, verses 5 through 7, because I believe our unity as a congregation is so important as we are scattered right now. It's easy to drift into self-preoccupation when we don't see each other except in a two-dimensional flat screen. And so we need to be thinking and about these scriptural priorities, Romans 15, 5 through 7. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us a spirit of unity among ourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Notice those words, as you follow Christ Jesus. That is our walk of discipleship. And it is a walk which glorifies God, that we count him weighty in our life among other, above other priorities, that we cast the spotlight of our life upon God above all other attractions, and foundationally, that we accept one another. We accept different points of view, different political points of view, different points of view about how church should be run right now. We accept one another just as Christ accepted us. That's an act of grace. He laid down his life and sacrificed for us. And because he did that for us, we are able to reflect that same grace out to others accepting one another just as Christ has accepted us. So let us remember Christ today, his grace, and how we can show it. And I want us to see that we're going to do that in three points today. First of all, 8a, disciples remember who was raised. 8b through 10, disciples remember what power was released in Christ Jesus. And then verses 11 through 13, disciples remember Christ's call and Christ's faithfulness. So beginning first, 8a, disciples remember who was raised. And there are three sub points. First, the single word remember. Second, 
that Jesus Christ of the seed of David, and the third subpoint was raised from the dead. We begin with the word remember. God's people have been a remembering people throughout salvation history. And it is just another way of saying they are a believing people. When you remember, it is not just an intellectual act of fact gathering and keeping. It is a matter of remembering so as to place your confidence in what God has done. The night before the Exodus, the firstborn sons of Israel were delivered from death when the angel of death passed over their house because there was blood marked on the doorways of their home. They were delivered. And then it says in Exodus 12, 26, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households so the people bowed their heads and worshiped. You see, remembering is an opportunity for worship, which is what we are doing today. As we hear the word and we recall God's faithfulness, we are worshiping the Lord and we are believing upon the Lord that these promises apply to us also. The ancient Israelites were also called to remember the law. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, and these words which I command you shall be in your heart. Something in your heart is something we put there to remember, just like our Redeemer verses. Every week we're remembering God's words so that over a period of a month we can remember a truth from God to us. Very important. And it says the crossing of the Jordan into the promised land. That was one of the most dramatic rememberings in the Old Testament because they were to set up stones out of the Jordan at Gilgal to recall the time when the Ark of the Covenant went across the Jordan River and they were headed into the promised land that the waters heaped up upstream. And we have these promises for ourselves. This is for believers in Jesus. Do you get it? You see, Christ is our Passover lamb who delivers us from the guilt of sin and the slavery to sin. And Christ fulfilled the whole moral law which we are meant to keep. He fulfilled it. And he calls us out of his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience and thanksgiving to him. And third, Christ is calling us forth to anticipate a new promised land, the new heaven and the new earth, which he is preparing for us. And I just shared that at the funeral for Mrs. Elaine Colvin. She requested John 14, 1 through 6, I go to prepare a place for you. And he will come back again, either individually as we die or at the second coming with glory, that we would be with him. Jesus Christ, we are meant to remember him. And the second sub-point of the first point, Jesus Christ is the seed of David. He is Christ, meaning the anointed one, the Messiah. And he is the seed of David, meaning that genealogically he's descended from King David. But he's also the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant theologically. The Davidic covenant is a subheading under the larger comprehensive covenant of grace that unites the Old Testament and the New Testament. The covenant of grace establishes the ground of the relationship of God with his people 
on the basis of his undeserved favor. That's his grace toward us. And it's on the basis of his promise to fulfill it on his terms with his power. The covenant of grace was promised in the Garden of Eden with the crushing of the head of the serpent by the seed of the woman promised to Adam and Eve. It was personalized familiarly in the Abrahamic covenant, which foretells the establishment of a great nation. And hear this, blessing for all the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham, the man of faith. That's why we have missionaries, okay? We're going to all the families of the earth with the gospel. It was administered at Mount Sinai as the Mosaic covenant to whom God delivered the law to Moses and administration. Even as Elder Ralph pointed out, this was a law given to Moses, but it was for us in the sense that it pointed us to the need for grace. When the law in its specificity showed us how we were falling short, we knew we needed a savior, the coming Messiah. And it was personalized individually. It was promised in the garden. It was personalized familially in the Abrahamic covenant. It was administered at Mount Sinai in the Mosaic covenant. And under the Davidic covenant, the covenant of grace was personalized individually in the person of a king. And this king was King David, who was promised in 2 Samuel 7.13, God said to him, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, speaking to the descendant of David. His throne shall be established forever. That speaks to a divine king. In Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And then we also read in 2 Samuel, 19, in Revelation chapter 19, that he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself will tread the winepresses of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, this Jesus has waged a kingly battle in his incarnation. He waged it against the devil, prevailing and against and having victory in his temptation in the wilderness when the devil tried to draw him aside. He, in a kingly way, delivered those possessed by demons throughout his ministry. And he mounted the throne of the cross. The cross was his earthly throne. He had no head where to lay his head, so he mounted the cross there to die as king of his people for the sins of his people. And we read the third subpoint under the first point, verse 8. We read here, he was raised from the dead. King Jesus reigns as the resurrected and ascended king of creation, as the only king and head of his church at the right hand of the Father. 
Here we see in this verse, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from dead. We see the gospel compressed to its shortest possible form. He is defined as the one promised and all the messianic promises apply to him by that word Christ and Jesus Christ. He is specified as the fulfillment of the most significant type of Christ in the Old Testament, the Davidic kingship. And he was raised. This is what happened to him. He was raised from the dead, which necessarily implies and understands the crucifixion which preceded it without even mentioning it. Here we have the gospel. Remember it, 2 Timothy 2.8. And remember that this is denied in our world. Serene Jones, over this past Easter weekend, the president of Union Seminary in New York City, blasphemously denied the virgin birth, denied the atonement of sin as related to the death of Christ, and denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sometimes you guys may think I'm just like a little holdover from modernism. You know, those 50s, 60s guys who are tilting at windmills, you know, fighting non-existent enemies. Oh, they fought that in the 50s and 60s. But why do you always emphasize the facts so much, Pastor Ned? We're on to better things. We're into a type of Christianity that's more a little more touchy-feely. Why are you so insistent on the facts? I am not tilting at windmills. I am not a Don Quixote fighting imaginary enemies. These people are alive today. They have influence, and they are not believers. They are not of the church. They are not saved, and I want you to be saved. I want you to believe upon the truth of God incarnate that Christ is ascended to heaven. He is the king. COVID-19 is not the king. COVID-19 is a warning sent from the king. He is warning us, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. COVID-19 doesn't hit particularly individual people because they're sinners. Jesus wiped that thought off the map with Luke 13. He said, those people who died in the falling of the Tower of Siloam, were they worse sinners than the rest of us? No! We all must repent or we will all likewise perish. Here is a warning to everyone. Repent and believe in the gospel. COVID-19 is not king over believers. If you're a believer, it is under the lordship and the kingly reign of Christ if you get COVID-19. And you are safe in the hands of Jesus. Take all measures not to get it, but believe upon Christ who is saving you to the end. For he says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We pray for all believers who fight COVID-19, and we praise God, the King, who is the King of all. Verses 8b through 10 are the second point. Disciples remember what power was released in Christ Jesus. 
And we read that last part of verse 8 with this next section of 9 and 10, according to my gospel. You see, Paul had his gospel. It was revealed to him directly on the road to Damascus when he saw Christ ascended at the right hand of the Father. I believe it was a physical sealing. I think that God opened his eyes, and that's why he was blinded. You don't get blinded from visions. You get blinded when your eyeballs get fried by the divine glory and the God divine presence. And then he was given restoration of his sight. He saw Christ high and lifted up, ascended, the one descended from David. And he was also saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's where we get the theology of the body of Christ, because Jesus was at the right hand, but Saul was persecuting his body the church. And so we see here that his gospel is a gospel which emphasizes the death and the resurrection of Christ. It is consistent with the whole of the New Testament. And see what was released. It was a word unchained that was released. It was a suffering endured, and it was a glorification anticipated. First, the word unchained. What a powerful image. He was there in chains in the Mamertine prison, but the word was not chained. And how do we see that in two senses? First, the written word of God went out from the prison. He wrote this letter, 2 Timothy. He wrote other letters like Philippians while he was enchained. That word still goes out today in your quiet time, in your family devotions, in your closet, around your table, and in our churches. That word is unchained. Furthermore, the word was not chained because others proclaimed the gospel when he was in prison. He said in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. So even in your situation when you're chained, even right there, people get the message. The palace guard, everyone else in that palace heard of Christ and that he was in chains for Christ. So you may think you're limited, but you still have an audience. But then it goes on to say, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Church, Christ is expecting you to do that right now. You, the ones I see on this Zoom screen right now. You are the ones who are called to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly because in some respects, our public ministry of this church has been restrained in some ways. It's upon you that the gospel must go forth. And as we consider that, consider the fact that in the providence of God, we have a technology now, the Anchor podcast. All you got to put in the search bar is Anchor. My first name, Edward. My last name, Suffern. Three separate words. Pop. You're going to go right to all the sermons I've preached since this began. And this is being recorded right now on Zoom. And that will be posted somewhere, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. So you have tools available to you. And just think of this wonderful story from Russia, how the word was unchained after the Berlin fall, Wall fell down and communism fell. Kent Hughes recounts 
a missionary organization called Commission. I wonder if it's the one that Liz went over there with. Not sure. But they went to Stavropol to distribute Bibles. And when they had difficulty getting Bibles out of Moscow for this smaller city, they were told, you know, there's a warehouse out there on the outside of town where Stalin told us to put all the Bibles. I bet they're still there. They went out there. They hired some people who were skeptics, some of them agnostic, and they hired them to load up their truck out of this warehouse. All of a sudden, one of the skeptics, one of the agnostics who had no faith was not to be found. He wasn't loading Bibles anymore. Instead, he was in the corner of the warehouse and he was sitting there and he was reading the word and he was reading this particular Bible because as he had opened it up, he saw the name of his grandmother who 60 years before in 1930 had had her Bible seized and now he was reading it. The word of God is unchained. And you should use the word as the Gideons provide them, the pocket testament lead. I want to encourage you to use the word. Second sub point under this point is suffering is enduring. Here's a pocket testament league testament. I will give those to you. If you will ask for them, I will send them to you so that you can get the word out. The suffering is endured. It says here, I suffer trouble as an evildoer. He was called a kakorgus, which is a horrible name. It's like a common criminal, somebody who's killing and murdering and stealing. It's used only three other times in the New Testament in Luke's gospel to describe the two people who were on his left and his right. And, and it, it's very ironic. It's used here for Paul because uh, those thieves at the cross said about Jesus that he is not like us. We indeed are crucified justly, but we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He was innocent, and yet he was dying for his people. And so Paul also was innocent of these charges that sent him to prison. He was not sinless like Christ, but there was no reason for him to be considered a kukorgus. And this is an example of our union with Christ, that we are meant to identify with Christ in his sufferings so that we can identify with him in his resurrection. As it says in Philippians 3.10, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You are called to suffer, church. You are called to suffer for Jesus. And our union with Christ requires that all of us, not just apostles, identify with the death of Christ through suffering. And it's for the sake of his elect. I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is the third sub-point under the second point of the sermon. The first point, sub-point was my gospel. The second sub-point was that he was enduring suffering. And then he calls us to endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. It's a very interesting phrase there, they also. You might say, well, of course, it's the elect who do get saved at the end. 
But it's interesting, the Apostle Paul is interested in all the elect receiving that salvation, meaning that he knows God has elect in all the families of the earth, according to the Abrahamic covenant. God has his elect among many people groups. God has his elect in your neighborhoods where you are hanging out and just doing your work and people you're interacting with on Zoom and Facebook and, and on the telephone. And it says here that we are meant to endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation. Some people think that Calvinism is the narrow-minded version of Christianity, where we think, oh, it's exclusionary, and, and we're leaving people out. But actually, Calvinism is the only version of Christian doctrine which includes people because it saves them. He brings dead people to life. Dead in their trespasses, no one can be saved without the election of God and his effectual calling upon dead sinners. But furthermore, it is the Calvinist view that has been at the heart of the greatest missionary movements in her church history. William Carey was a Calvinist. Samuel Zwamer, going off to the Muslims in the 1800s, was a Calvinist. It is only when we have a deep-rooted assurance that God's elect are there. We just got to go find them. They are there. There is hope for Muslims, and they are meant to hear the gospel and be saved. There is a desire here that they would endure all things for the sake of the elect. What are we enduring? Are we remembering Christ unchained? I'm thankful you are. You are giving generously to the work of Redeemer Reform Presbyterian Church. You are channels of his power flooding into his church so that missionaries can stay on the field and so that the work can go on here in the foothills of the Adirondacks. You are enduring hardship. I see it in many of your lives, and I commend you for your service. And you are remembering Christ who is waiting with open arms for all of Christ's elect at the last day. The third and final point today is verses 11 through 13. Disciples remember Christ's call and Christ's faithfulness. And I'm thankful for these categories from a commentator, Kent Hughes. Christ is faithful in calling people to conversion. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. It's a matter of conversion. We need to die with Christ and then live with Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's present tense. I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's death and life right now in Christ looking forward to an eternal life. Back in verse 10, it says Christ Jesus is going to be our salvation with eternal glory. There is a glory ahead of us, a life 
forever in the presence of Christ. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. That's conversion. Secondly, it says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. God is calling us to perseverance. He's calling us to hang on, to endure to the end. If you have your Bibles open, put your finger in 2 Timothy and turn over with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Revelation 3, 20 and 21. Very important passage in this regard. This is a text, the first verse, which is often used as a salvation text, first time salvation, but actually it's a fellowship text. It's a text which speaks to having fellowship with Christ, union with Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. How important it is every day to open that door to Jesus. When I wake up in the morning, it's like, wow, I got to start my Christian life over. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. It's like, boy, I've, I, I need to repent today. I need to believe in Jesus today. I need to open the door that Jesus will come in and I will have union with him, dining with him and he with me. And this is the foundation of verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you hear that church? You see the basis of us overcoming is that we have this communion with Jesus that he has already overcome is evident he was faithful to the end all the way to the cross and he came out of the grave he has overcome and now we are meant in his power in union with him to overcome ourselves to endure to the end and to be sitting on thrones what a treasure what a future we have in the new heaven and the new earth. We're not called just to eternal rest. We are called to what one commentator calls eternal responsibility as Christ's co-regents, teeming with him on vast new enterprises. What a hope we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus is faithful and bringing us home to reign with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. But then the third part of this, this faithful saying is, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Jesus had said, but whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I think of that seminary president denying the resurrection, denying the virgin birth. If we deny him and his word written, he will deny us. That's what it says here. He also will deny us. And we, you, you say, well, what about those people who said they were Christians and they're somehow walking away? 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that none of them 
were of us. They never were of us. They never were believers. They said the right things. They spouted the right language. They gave money to the church. They worked hard for the church. But it was all about them. It wasn't about glorifying God. So be careful if you deny him. In this way, like Judas did, like Figilus and Hermogenes did in chapter 115 of 2 Timothy, he will deny you. But the fourth and final part of this faithful saying, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is like a person like Peter who was faithless for a moment. He denied Christ three times. But being looked at in the men's Bible study, we studied this a few weeks ago, Jesus looked at him with a look of love, and he was convicted of his sin, and he repented, and he came back, and Jesus had been praying for him to restore him, that he might minister to his brothers. My dear flock, this little flock of Redeemer Reformed Presbyterian Church, it's Jesus's flock, and he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful. He will bring us home at the last day. Because to deny himself would be to deny who God is. And God cannot deny himself. In conclusion, I just call you today to remember. Remember Christ. We're all a bit dislocated. There's a, the routines just aren't the same for me, at least. Some of you who are still working out there and places, healthcare centers, maybe the routines are better because you're driving. And I'm, I'm thankful, but many of us at home just feel a little bit out of it. But hang on to this one thing. Remember Christ. Remember Christ who died for you, the Passover lamb. Remember Christ who fulfilled the whole divine law for you, that you may thankfully follow that law with gratitude. Remember Christ who won a new heaven and new earth for you, the promised land to which you go. Remember Christ who fulfilled the Davidic covenant and fulfills all the aspects of the covenant of grace. He crushed the head of the serpent which was promised in the Garden of Eden. He is sending his missionaries, us, the church, to all the families of the earth according to the Abrahamic covenant. He reigns as king over COVID-19 and shall deliver us in this world or deliver us unto a better world. Yes, this King Jesus has empowered us. You are emblems of God's faithfulness through you. The power of Christ is being released that the word would be unchained and still go out through Redeemer Church and its missionaries. You are those who are enduring to the end. You are those who are looking forward to the elect also sharing in the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So seek the conversion of the lost. Endure to reign someday. Rest in his grace, for he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You're a disciple. Remember the one you follow. Remember the king has come. And remember 
He is coming as king again in glory. Let us pray. Gracious God, I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you for these dear ones who have held on to that word with their whole life, dedicating themselves to your service. We want to remember you today. To cut through the clutter of our lives right now, just to simply remember Christ, to believe on him, and to have union with him, and to be strengthened by him, both this day and every day to follow. And it is in the name of King Jesus that we pray. Amen.